0: I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Whenever I said this as a little boy to a friend, or more often than not, a sibling, it was simply untrue. You see, words are very powerful. In an instance, they can both break down and build up. In an instance, they can both wound and heal. Words are the way in which we communicate with one another. Of course, they are both spoken and written. They are sung, yelled, proclaimed, hushed, taken back, and erased. Whether it be a story of Southern folklore, an argument with a friend, a campaign speech, comforting pieces of scripture, or a love letter from a spouse tucked into a box of keepsakes, words are the means we use to convey who we are, what we stand for, and what we are feeling to one another. Words are also integral to our worship. Our liturgy is nothing less than an encounter with God, no matter how many people are there. And it is powerful words within our liturgy facilitate that encounter. Our Book of Common Prayer is full of words that give voice to the cares, the troubles, fears, and thanksgivings of our lives. Words allow us to burst forth with song, to write down our lives in a journal, to express ourselves with poetry, to sit and indulge in a classic novel, and they allow us to pray. Oftentimes we hear, let us pray together using the words our Lord and Savior taught us before we recite the Lord's Prayer, or let us use together the words of the Nicene Creed to affirm the faith of the church. So yes, words are very integral to our lives and to our worship. They reveal us. If you want to understand what we believe in the Episcopal Church, Just listen to what we say in our liturgy. If you want to know where someone's collegiate allegiances lie, they'll use such words as hottie toddy or hell state. What we say means something, and the words we use to say them are important. So in today's gospel lesson that we read from John, we read powerful words unfolding the mystery of the Incarnation, our reading reveals much about the author of John and his theology. This theology has been well received by the church and is a large part of what we as Christians believe today. However, debate has ensued for many centuries between both biblical scholars and theologians over the meaning of John's words. What we read today in those first 18 verses of, verses of John's gospel is nothing less than his account of the birth narrative. Often we tend to think the account of Jesus' birth can only be found in Matthew and Luke, and that there is no account of Jesus' birth in Mark or John. But I am of the same mind as those who believe that the prologue to John's gospel we read today can easily be interpreted as the gospel's birth narrative. But however, John uses different words to tell of the birth of our Savior. John's birth narrative is not like Luke's that we read a few days ago on Christmas Eve. The words and phrases that are so inherent and unique to Luke are not in the Gospel of John, such as shepherds, angels, stable, bands of cloth, sore afraid, manger, and heavenly host. There is no Joseph or Mary, and there is no mention of Bethlehem. What Luke narrates with tender touch, as if he is telling a story to a child sitting on his lap, John tells rather academically, as if he is talking to a lecture hall full of students. He uses words such as life, light, darkness, flesh, and he never mentions the name Jesus, but he refers to Jesus as the Word with a capital W. What John is saying is very bold, and its meaning completely turns our relationship with God upside down. As I stated earlier, words are important. They communicate what we stand for, what we think, and who we are. By calling Jesus the word of God, John is telling us his innermost and precious thoughts about Jesus. He is telling us that Jesus is the mind of God. And that Jesus reveals to us who God is because he is the mind of God. Just as our words reveal to others, just as our words reveal us to others, the word of God reveals God to us because the word of God is the mind of God. So in case you're confused, let me say that again. The word of God is the mind of God. Jesus, as the word of God, is the mind of God. So, therefore, Jesus reveals God to us. So, when Jesus breaks bread with outcasts and forgives sinners, we know that God loves those who have rejected him and have been rejected by society. When Jesus hangs out with tax collectors, we know that God loves and desires to be in relationship with everyone. When Jesus weeps at the grave of his dear friend Lazarus, we know that God truly understands what it means to be sad. When Jesus is crucified, we know that God truly understands the evil of this world in which we live. When Jesus cries out in agony on the cross, we know that God truly understands what it feels like to be alone and abandoned. When Jesus rose from the dead on that glorious day, we too know that God will raise us up from death as well. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have assurance that God knows us because God is one of us. We have assurance that we know God more intimately because God intimately revealed himself to us. So the Bible, if read, understood and proclaimed correctly, is nothing less than a love story between God and us. In today's gospel lesson, the word becoming flesh is the climax of that love story. The love of God came down at Christmas and dwelt among us. Though John deserves a job well done for his attempt at explaining the incarnation, it cannot be explained nor understood completely. Countless theologians and biblical scholars have tried to do so. They have tried to make sense of it all, but no one can comprehend the full mystery Of God's decision to become one of us I think perhaps it's better that way I think that perhaps some things are better left to mystery but what is not a mystery and what we do know and are sure of is that the incarnation is about God's deep love for us if one word is to describe this season of Christmas it would be love Jesus is a love of God manifested in our lives That baby lying in a manger proves that God loves you and that God loves me. God loves us so much that he wanted to know us more intimately. And he likewise wanted us to know him more intimately. So he came to us. God no longer desired to be far from us. It is his love for us that drew him closer to us. It is his love for us still to this day that draws him closer to us than our next breath. In this Christmas season, in which we find ourselves and continue to celebrate, God has decided not to be hidden. God has decided not to be a stranger. God has decided not to be far from us. God has decided that his love for us is just too much. And so God has taken action. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Merry Christmas to you all, and amen. Amen. Amen.